0: We're back in our series in Daniel here. We'll be in Daniel for the next probably month and a half as we wrap up. There's a lot of interesting things here at the end of Daniel, if you're familiar with it. And uh, it'll be fun to walk through these things with you. As I mentioned, we had a great time at family camp. Um, It was a little bit of a rude awakening. Uh, We came home Friday afternoon and did things and woke up Saturday morning and we had to make our own food and like brew our own coffee, things like that. It's like, there's no kids' class. Okay, kids, get out of here. <laughs> but uh, we had a great time and uh, are, are glad to be back with you uh, this Sunday. Hopefully you welcomed Tim Capon. Uh, I had some text messaging interaction with, with him and Sandy, and they appreciated their time with you last Sunday. So thank you for being uh, kind to them. Daniel chapter 5, page 742 in the Pew Bible. If you found your way there, let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here and to look into your word. Lord, as we come to your word this morning, as we're back in Daniel, Lord, your power, your plan over human powers. Lord, you are sovereign, you are over all, and we will see that reflected here. Lord, thank you that we have a God, Lord, that you are a God who is over all. And yet we can know you and be welcomed into your presence through your son, Jesus Christ. Help us now as we come to your word. Give us understanding. Uh, give us application to our own hearts and lives that we can be made more like Jesus. We pray in his name, amen. Daniel chapter five, to we'll be looking at. I'm gonna read verses 22 and 23 in lieu of the whole chapter uh, as these are the, the main thrust of our passage this morning. Daniel five, verses 22 and 23. This is Daniel speaking and he says, and you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways you have not honored. Daniel 5 is one of those uh, passages from the Bible that people know about even if they don't know about it. It's the phrase, you can see the handwriting on the wall. Now, for those of you who've grown up in church or have familiar with Daniel, the handwriting on the wall is found in Daniel chapter 5. But if you ask somebody on the street who may not be familiar with the Bible or Daniel, if you've asked them, if you ask them have you ever heard of the phrase the handwriting on the wall? Well, the handwriting's on the wall. They probably are familiar with the phrase, but maybe not the origin. The origin of that phrase is found right here in Daniel 5. And King Belshazzar and his interaction with Daniel. And this phrase, the handwriting is all on the wall, it's become part of our, our common vernacular. It's, it's a phrase that we use. You might be watching a ball game of some sort, and a commentator, commentator might say, well, the writing's on the wall. They're not going to win. It's something that's plain or easy to see. If you take a step back and look, we know what's going to happen. It's a done deal. There's no changing it. The handwriting is on the wall. And this comes from Daniel 5 here with Belshazzar, this king or co-king, as we'll talk about here in a little bit. He is the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. And he is unlike Nebuchadnezzar. He is unlike his grandfather who, though his grandfather was proud, was humbled by the Lord. And we see this ultimate humiliation in Daniel 4, if you remember back when Nebuchadnezzar was struck with this madness and became like a beast of the field. But through that, the Lord humbled him and he gave praise to God. If he truly became a believer, we aren't necessarily 100% sure, but we see his testimony, his confession, the end of Daniel 4, where he gives such praise and glory to God. He acknowledges the most high. But Belshazzar has not. And God makes it clear through the handwriting on the wall that Belshazzar's time has come to an end. Those who disregard the sovereign hand of God dishonor the one who holds their very breath and will come to ruin. That's our big idea here from Daniel chapter five. As Nebuchadnezzar honored God, Belshazzar does not. He disregards the sovereign hand of God. And we see this use of hand several times through the handwriting on the wall. And then in verses 22 and 23, which I read, where Daniel recounts to Belshazzar how the Most High God, whose hand is your breath, this idea of holding in hand, those who disregard the sovereign hand of God Dishonor the one who holds their very breath and will come to ruin. The ability to hold something in your hand, to fit in your hand, has the ability to control it, to to use the power that you have to determine what happens to this thing or this item. And here we know that we are resting in the sovereign hand of God, but those who dishonor the one who holds their very breath will come to ruin. It is one thing to be ignorant of God's sovereignty at work, to not know. But those who do know and disregard, it is dangerous. So as we look here at Daniel 5, we're going we're gonna to walk through the chapter quickly uh, and just giving some highlights of some things. And then I have three points, which are the three points of application uh, for this chapter uh, of what we can learn here from Belshazzar. So let's just walk through chapter 5 here and different sections and and give the synopsis of what's happening. So Daniel 5, verse 1 says, King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Now we're introduced to a new king. This is King Belshazzar. And Daniel and archaeological history, has been at, they've been at odds before in the past. And in Daniel, we have this record of King Belshazzar when the annals of Babylonian history, we weren't quite sure who King Belshazzar was. The king that followed Nebuchadnezzar, who has passed from the scene, is his son Nabonidus. But Nabonidus uh, had a son named Belshazzar also. And in this chapter, we read of Belshazzar, but not necessarily Nabonidus as being the king. So how do we reconcile this with archaeology, with history, uh, with the records that we have? Well, in recent discovery, it's been found out that Nabonidus was king, but he did not spend all of his time in the capital city where, where, Belshazzar, excuse me, where Belshazzar is. And they actually started to rule As co regents. They were almost co kings, where Nabonidus was out fighting battles and he was farther away, and his son Belshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, had a position of authority and was known as king also. So it's interesting how archaeology and history shows that the Bible is correct. Now, there's a lot more reading you can do on this. We're not going to get into the weeds of this, Uh, but in case you're wondering, Uh, Belshazzar is the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, the son of Nabonidus, who is ruling and reigning with his father over the kingdom of Babylon here. But King Belshazzar, uh, he's not the brightest crayon in the box. He has forgotten what happened to his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar. Belshazzar is king. He makes a great feast And a feast for thousands. And he brings everyone together. And this more than likely is probably a regular feast in the nation of Babylon to one of their false gods. And they gather together. Verse 2, Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver, that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, that would be used in the phrase because he is king, and King Nebuchadnezzar, it's actually his, his grandfather. You could also use the word predecessor. Your Bible might have a footnote had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem. And he commanded that these vessels would be brought out and they would drink the wine from them. So Belshazzar is aware of these vessels, these cups and bowls, and he's aware of their source because they're in a special spot. It's not like they got thrown in with the with the, with the rest of the uh, the cutlery and the bowls and the cups, right? It's in a special spot. It's like you're... Your, your fancy china or your, your special Christmas dishes. It's like, let's bring out the special things. And that's what Belshazzar does. He calls for them knowing where they come from. And he takes them and he fills them and he drinks from them, him and his lords and his wives and his concubines. And they drink from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So not only do they drink from these, but they use them in a sense, as giving toasts or giving honor to their false gods. What's interesting here also is how Daniel uses this language of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. It it parallels Nebuchadnezzar's vision of the statue, right? Gold, silver, bronze, iron, mixed with clay. And it will uh, mirror some other things uh, in the future in the book of Daniel here as well too. And how that's equated with false gods. So he... Takes these vessels from the temple and specifically and directly drinks from them and offers toast to his false gods. He is doing this on purpose to show how his gods are better than the gods of Jerusalem. But something happens. Verse nine, or excuse me, verse five, immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. Immediately, a hand or fingers appeared. Now, that would be a shocking sight, right? If just a hand appeared. Generally, people don't lose hands. <laughs> and to find one just laying around would be interesting, to say the least. It reminds me of, what, is it from the Adams family thing? Is that, is that the guy's name, the hand that just runs around? Immediately, if fingers, fingers of a human hand appeared, and it wrote on the plaster of the wall. So this, this hand appears, and it starts to write. And it writes, and the king saw the hand as it wrote. And, and the king's color changed, verse 6. And his thoughts were alarmed. The, the idea of king's, his color changed was the fact that um, he's shocked. He, he's in whether horror or disbelief, and, and he can't believe what he's seeing. And his thoughts alarmed him. What is happening? His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. He's shaking. He, he's, just, he's just almost at the point of fainting. And so he saw this hand in its writing and he calls loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers, just like Nebuchadnezzar did, right? Bring in all the wise men, all the magicians. And he says, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall have all these rewards, all these rewards, just like Nebuchadnezzar. So this was common practice, right? If you can help me, I will help you. So everyone, all my wise men, come in. Verse 8, then they came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. So could they not see the writing? They could see it. Could they not understand it? Maybe some of them were unfamiliar with the, with the, the meaning or definitely the interpretation. They had no idea. Verse 9, then king, then king Belshazzar was greatly alarmed. His color changed and his lords were perplexed. He is... He doesn't know what's happening. But verse 10, the queen, the queen. This is actually the queen mother. So this is Nabonidus's wife. So this would be Belshazzar's mom. Because of the words of the king and the lords, she came into the banqueting hall. So she wasn't there, but she heard the ruckus. And she came in and she says, O king, live forever. Do not be alarmed. Don't be scared. There's a man In your kingdom, in whom is the spirit of the holy God. So she's referencing Daniel. She remembers Daniel. She remembers what happened with her uh, father-in-law, Nebuchadnezzar, and with Daniel. And so she says, there's a man in your kingdom. Now, why isn't Daniel present? Well, more than likely, Daniel is retired. (laughs) Through the course of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, and when Daniel was brought as a young man to Babylon and how long Nebuchadnezzar reigned in this time, Daniel more than likely would be in his 70s, probably 80s. So he would be an elderly man, retired from public service, but still present and still known. And she, the queen mother says, there's a man who you should ask. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father, the king made him chief of the magicians, cantors, chaldeans, and astrologers, because... An excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show you the interpretation. So the the queen mother reminds him of Daniel and who he is and to bring him in. And just the testimony of Daniel, even 70, 80 years into his life, Daniel's testimony in the kingdom is still one of uprightness of one who can help, of one who is, who is understanding in the ways of the most high God. What a great testimony of somebody in their waning years that this is who he was. Verse 13, so they bring in Daniel before the king. And the king answers and said to Daniel, you are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah. That was 70 plus years ago you are one of the exiles whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you, that light and understanding and excellent wisdom is found in you. So he rehashes all these things and he says, but I have a problem. Give me an interpretation and I will give you all these things. I will give this purple, clothed in purple, a chain of gold and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. He shall be like the vice president. Something like that. Verse 17. Then Daniel answers. <laughs> said, I could just, you know, in your mind's eye, you know, I don't know exactly what this looked like, but, you know, old Daniel maybe walking with a cane, coming in and, and standing there, and, and the king talking to him and saying, if you can figure this out, I will give you all these things. And Daniel's like, in Daniel's mind, what am I going to do with these things, right? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm in my set late 70s, late 80s. I don't care about power and all that stuff. And, you know, I'm going to say he's a curmudgeon, but, like, he doesn't suffer any fools. <laughs> and he says, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. He said, I don't, I don't need your gifts. Like, I, I, no, I'm too old for that. I don't need that. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. Then he says, I don't need your rewards. I'm not doing it for gain for myself, but I will interpret what you ask. Verse 18, O king. The most high God. This phrase is used often in Daniel. The most high God. Demonstrating God's uh, place above all other false gods. The most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. Once again, we see God's sovereign hand. God gave that to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar didn't earn it. He didn't take it. God sovereignly gave it to him. And because of the greatness that he gave... All peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he would kill, and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up, and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne, and his glory was taken from him. What is Daniel talking about? He's rehearsing the events of Daniel 4. Nebuchadnezzar's pride being lifted up, but yet being humbled. Verse 21, he was driven from among the children of mankind. And he was like that of a beast dwelling with the wild donkeys. He fed on grass like an ox. He was wet with the dew of heavens until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. So he rehearses all these things about what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 22, and you, his son or successor, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. And that's the point. Belshazzar should have known better. Why? Because of Nebuchadnezzar. The way that Nebuchadnezzar pronounced the Most High God and confessed who was in charge and how he humbled himself. Belshazzar should have known better, but yet he didn't listen. He didn't take heed. He dishonored and denied the truth of who God was. And he lifted himself up against the Lord of heaven, verse 23. And what action does Daniel confront him about? It's the taking of these vessels from Jerusalem, these objects that were used in the temple and how they were used to worship false gods. He was mocking the one true God, the most high God, by drinking of these cups and bowls and vessels. And he says, you have praised these gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. Meaning, you are worshiping these gods that are dead, that are not real. They're like, they're just things. They're immaterial things that can't think or feel or know or have any power. But you dishonor the God in whose hand is your breath, who holds you, and whose are all your ways you have not honored. So he confronts him. He says, this is the reason you're getting this message. He didn't even get to the interpretation yet. He's just saying, hey, guess what? You've messed up. You've disregarded the message from Nebuchadnezzar and you yourself have dishonored God. Verse 24, now he gets to the interpretation. He interprets the writing that was inscribed. Many, many tekel parson. And he says, this is the interpretation, many, meaning God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. This word is repeated inside. So he's counted and counted. He's, he's measured. And yet, your kingdom is coming to an end. It's, a, it's an accounting term, just like the next one, tekel, is. It's been weighed. You have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. In this time in history, you would go to the market and you'd pay and there'd be scales, right? And so it'd be weighed how much this is worth and, and how much you still owe to balance out the scales. And it's this figure. It's the idea of justice, right? If you've ever seen a statue of Lady Justice, she's blindfolded and she has a scale in one hand to balance things out. It's that idea that he's been weighed, but yet what he's, it's not balancing out. You've been found wanting. And then Parson, or he uses another form of the word Paris here, which means that your kingdom is going to be cut. It's going to be divided. And he says it's going to be given to the Medes and Persians. They will be divided and given to this, these other two nations that are together. The writing is clear that the king's rule is over. He's been weighed, he's been measured, and he's been found wanting. He's numbered the days of the kingdom of Babylon and he's going to divide it. He's going to destroy it. Now, is he going to use other people? Yes, he's going to use the Medes and the Persian, but that does not happen outside of God's allowing it, of God's control. God is saying, I am going to send the Merds and the Persians, the Medes, Mer- get my Merds wixed up here, uh, the Medes and the Persians. <sighs> I mean, it's a long week at family camp, I can tell you. He's going to send the Medes and the Persians to dispense justice, judgment on Babylon. Verse 29, Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple, chained of gold, and put around his neck. And a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Even though Daniel didn't want that, Belshazzar follows through, and he does this. But it's interesting. Here is the king who is bestowing this honor upon Daniel, and Daniel doesn't want it. But which of the two is going to survive? Danielus. Verse 30. That very night, Belshazzar the Chaldean king was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. And Darius the Mede, one of the rulers of the Medes and the Persians, took control. That very night, Belshazzar the Chaldean king was killed. There are records in the annals of the Medes and the Persians of finding Babylon in this festival, this this giant party in which they attacked the city, in which they gained power and took control, and Belshazzar was killed. And Darius, this ruler of the Medes, took over, and Daniel endured. So We go from Nebuchadnezzar honoring God and being humbled and and giving praise to him and, and growing in glory and power and might because he honors God to his grandson who is now ruling with his father Nabonidus, rejecting that and mocking God and coming to utter ruin. He dishonors the sovereign hand of God, the one who is holding his very breath in his life and that will bring you to ruin. So, what are what are our three points here, our three application points as we look at this passage? First off, mocking God leads to ruin. Pretty simple. Mocking God leads to ruin. So honor don't mock. Belshazzar's use of the vessels was on purpose. He knew what he was doing. It's not like they got mixed up in the dishwasher. He knew exactly what those vessels were for, where they were from. And he was doing it to show his supposed might or power over this nation that he had nothing to do with conquering. He's living off the laurels of his grandfather. And showing, look how powerful we are when in the fact he wasn't even probably there and he had nothing to do with his conquering. And their supposed God that they had, he is mocking him. and we can see this in belshazzar and think well yeah that's that's foolish belshazzar you you know from this perspective that's that's a terrible idea but we can often mock god in different ways we disregard his clear commands we say one thing and live another It's the idea from Jude, as we walk through Jude, right? Those false teachers. They were proclaiming that they knew Jesus, but their lives were lived in a different way. They were mocking God, they were not honoring him. And what was their end? It was going to be judgment, it was going to be ruin. This will bring about consequences for Belshazzar. And it's a good reminder for us that those who mock God will have consequences. Those who do not know God and who mock Him. And I think of the world around us today. There are people who blatantly and boldly stand against God and in various ways mock Him. They are scoffers or mockers according to Proverbs. And their end is ruin. Now we may not see the ruin right now in in, in front of us, but their ultimate end is destruction. Destruction in the fires of judgment, of hell, in the lake of fire. Mocking God leads to ruin. Even as believers, we can subtly mock God. We can disregard Him. We can come to ruin. Somebody may be truly born again, but yet they are still caught up in sin and and they're living life contrary to God and His Word, and and God intervenes in such a drastic way to get their attention that it has severe consequences. There are other cases when somebody claims to be a believer, but yet they do not know God, and their end will be judgment. And so the call is not to mock God, but to honor Him. Not that we can do that perfectly, but we can grow in that. We can seek that to be the direction of our hearts, Do we want to honor God above all else, above the desires of men, above the thinking of the world, seeking to honor God? Secondly, just as Belshazzar mocked God through his use of the vessels to drink this wine and worship his gods, forgetting God leads to ruin. So mocking God leads to ruin, But forgetting God can lead to ruin. So remember, don't forget. When this handwriting on the wall comes in and and Belshazzar is so overwhelmed and he's like, what's going to happen? And the queen mother says, oh, there's this guy who can help you. He should have known that. He should have remembered. And Daniel comes in and what does Daniel do? He rehearses the truth from Daniel 4 of what Nebuchadnezzar went through. And he says, you should, in a sense, you know this, but you've, you've forgotten You aren't remembering, you're you're denying. Isn't this crazy? This is is not even a a full generation or passing of time. Belshazzar would probably have known Nebuchadnezzar. And you gotta know that Nebuchadnezzar would probably have said, hey, remember that time I became like an animal? Yeah, that was crazy. (laughs) Let me tell you a story. (laughs) Let me tell you about the most high God who has shown his power. But yet Belshazzar disregarded that. He forgot Maybe he thought it was an age thing, crazy old Grandpa Nebuchadnezzar in his stories, right? But in his forgetting, he brought ruin upon himself. You might say, well, why, why did God show patience to Nebuchadnezzar, and not to Belshazzar? Because Nebuchadnezzar had, had no frame of reference for the one true God. And God was making himself known to Nebuchadnezzar. He was making himself known to him as the most high, the one who is sovereign over all. And so he did that through, through the young men and through Daniel interpreting dreams and through the fiery furnace and then ultimately through his humiliation as a wild beast. And, and Nebuchadnezzar's eyes were opened. He said, yes, you are the one true God. You are the most high. I need to submit myself to you. And you got to know that Nebuchadnezzar would rehearse those truths over and over again and, and pass them down, but yet Belshazzar, why didn't God turn him into an animal? Because he'd already done so with Nebuchadnezzar. And he could say, hey, listen, this is what happened. Listen, listen to this is what's happened before. Remember. Sometimes we think, oh man, I wish God would just, just talk to me. Just write it on the wall for me, you know, up in the sky. If I could have, have an interaction like, like the apostles or 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 those first century believers in these visions and miracles and all these things, it's like, yeah, I get what you're saying, but understanding that's already happened and it's been recorded for us and we, we have it here in his word. So let's not forget about God, but let us be in his word, reminding ourselves daily about who he is and what he's done and how he is working. Do not forget. Do not forget to pass on those truths to the next generation. I'm thankful for the kids that we have here at Horton Baptist Church. I'm thankful for the the elderly we have here at Horton Baptist Church and everyone in between because we can hear the testimony of God's faithfulness from different generations. And it's good to hear and to remember and to reflect on God's faithfulness in the past and not to forget. Our God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we can learn from his pattern of action. God is sovereign and will move as he sees fit. So don't forget who God is and what he's done. We forget to God, we are led to ruin. We start chasing other things. We start trying to to work and manipulate and build churches in different ways or or seeking things in our lives that don't bring satisfaction, can't truly save us. So don't forget God, but remember. And lastly, Number three, dishonoring God leads to ruin. This is, this is similar to mocking, but it's a little bit different. Dishonoring God leads to ruin. So, humility, not pride. Humility, not pride. The heart of all this is humility versus pride. Of humbling ourselves before God, acknowledging the supreme, sovereign power of the Most High God over all things, great and small, kingdoms and people. God will do what he pleases. So, humble yourself before him and acknowledge it. And we know this in a macro sense, in a large sense. We can read Daniel and say, Yeah, God is sovereign over nations. But that same God that is sovereign over nations is the same God who is sovereign over your life. He is sovereign over all things, all nations throughout all time, but yet he's also sovereign over your life. He has absolute control. Nothing happens in your life that God does not allow. This is an amazing, comforting thing to know that somebody's in control, even though you're not. And it's a demonstration of faith. Say, God, I don't don't know what is happening, but I'm trusting in you that these circumstances that are hard and difficult, I'm saying I'm not going to try and manipulate and control things, but I'm going to let you work. Something hard happens at work. Something difficult in your life. A sickness, disease, passing of a loved one, loss of a job. Something great happens. There's unexpected blessing and rejoicing. And all of these things we need to recognize as being from the sovereign hand of God. And just as he's working to remind these kings of their position, he's working to remind us of his work in our lives, of making us more like Jesus. In the macro sense, but also in the micro sense, God is sovereign. We can't slip through without being seen. God's sovereign power extends from the greatest kingdom to the smallest life. So we are called to humble ourselves before him. And as you humble yourself before God, what does he do? He gives grace. He exalts. He lifts up. And in our lives, we aren't kings of a world power. But in our own lives, God is calling us to humble ourselves before him. First, because of our need as a sinner. To humble ourselves before God, to receive forgiveness, to trust in Jesus Christ alone. We are all rebels against the one true God, seeking to live our own lives. Yet he is calling us to humble ourselves and to trust in Christ. And as we live our lives, we are to submit our lives to him, saying, it's not my will, but your will be done. It's not my way, but your way, God. I'm not going to hang on to it with a clenched fist, but with an open hand saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? And usually it's the small faithful steps each day of loving your spouse, of loving your kids, of being a good neighbor, of seeking to share the gospel, of reading the Bible, of praying, of seeking to be a good member in your community as an opportunity to be a witness. It may be that God is calling you into full-time ministry. Whether you are young or more advanced in years, is God working in your heart and life where he's saying, you know what, I'm going to use you in a special, distinct, full-time way for ministry. We were challenged with that this past week at family camp. That God is calling people to be used by Him in a very distinct, full-time way. Will you heed that call? Will you listen to that call? Recognize. Don't mock. Remember, don't forget. Humble yourselves. Don't be proud. Because those who disregard the sovereign hand of God dishonor the one who holds their very breath and will come to ruin. will come to ruin. When we disregard and dishonor God, it's not a good end. And we see this reflected here in Daniel 5, as Belshazzar in the kingdom of Babylon is destroyed, and the next power rises. We'll continue to look at this pattern of events next week in Daniel 6. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the reminder from your word this morning. Lord, how you sovereignly guide and direct and you call us to humble ourselves before you your sovereign hand Lord, that we would recognize your work in our lives that we would not forget but we would remember we would humble ourselves and not be proud and that we would honor and not mock lord help us do this we pray in your name amen